Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the global importance of mosses. Your teacher is Professor David Eldridge from the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of New South Wales. David, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Richard. I'm going to start with the simplest of questions. What, 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 are, what are mosses? Are, are, they, are they plants? Ah, uh, yeah, they are plants. They, they have chloroplasts and they photosynthesize just like real plants, but they're kind of different to the things that we would normally call plants. You know, they're different to trees and shrubs because they don't have the plumbing. Now, I heard you and Josh talking this, earlier this afternoon about um, what that plumbing is. It's called a xylem and a phloem, and mosses don't have those things. So that means that they can't take water and nutrients up from the soil. And because they can't do that, that makes them small. So they've okay. got to hang around. They've got to be pretty small. Okay, so they, can't, they must be close to the ground. They can't sort of grow up like a, a daffodil because they've not got the piping to take the water up, up towards that flower. Yeah, that's right. And probably in Australia, our tallest moss is probably, oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 centimetres tall. Um, our smallest one is probably a tenth or maybe a half a millimetre. So they range in size, quite small. Okay, but close to the ground usually. Are they the same as lichen? No, they're very different. Um, oh, lichens, we could talk all day about lichens. Um, mosses are in the, in, in the kingdom planter, the plant kingdom. Uh, lichens are actually part plant and part fungus. Fungus is a completely different kingdom. So a lichen is an organism that has two components working together, a fungus and an alga, and the fungus provides the structure or the home and the alga, and sometimes it's a blue-green alga, but usually a green alga, that uh, provides the nutrition. So they're living in a symbiotic relationship. So they're very, very different to mosses. Mm -hmm. So let's stick with mosses then. Where where do you find them? Are they around the world? Are they in certain environments? Are they in certain continents? Well, I'm sure if you walked out out of your studio and looked on the ground on the footpath, you'd see them growing in the concrete. They're everywhere. They're on trees. They're on the road. They're on the soil. They're on the, on the, on the rocks. They're pretty much everywhere. You, you know, it's a bit like rats. You know, we're no more than a couple of metres from a moss. What do they do for us? What's their point? Uh, <laughs> well, for me, they make me feel good. But um, mosses have lots of amazing abilities. I mean, they do a lot of different things. And we've just finished a, a really big global survey looking at how important they are for the soil. And so what they do is they create healthy, functional soils. They put carbon into the soil, they, um, they fight um, soil-borne plant pathogens, um, they provide a home for invertebrates, they, they make the place look good, and they, even some animals eat them. So they do a lot of good things. I think I probably associate them with wet areas. Is, is, is that accurate? Yeah, um, well, yes, in general. I mean, a lot of mosses grow in very damp areas. We often think of them as growing in tropical rainforests and stuff like that. But mosses actually grow in our deserts, and it's in the deserts that they probably have one of their greatest effects, and that's holding the soil together. So mosses grow all over the place, and, you know, we often see them in our lawns and our garden and think, oh, pesky moss, got to get rid of that. It's stopping the lawn growing. Um, so most people know them, but they don't really know how important they are. How do they evolve to grow in the desert? 
Well, they've got lots of amazing uh, uh, structural attributes, structural features that, that give them a competitive advantage. So one of the things is, that's amazing, and a lot of people don't know this, is that many mosses are resurrection plants. They're pretty much, they, you can't kill them. You can dry them and put them in a herbarium, the sorts of places where people keep plants, and you can drag them out 50 years later and put a bit of water on them and they come to life. There's something about the cell structure in mosses that allows them to maintain their structure so they don't die. Um, other desert mosses have uh, little cells on their, on the, on their leaves, uh, in their leaves, called papillae and lamellae. Um, and those little cells swell up when they get wet and they, they hold the water. So they kind of got this mechanism for holding water for a bit longer than your ordinary plant. And even some mosses have, um, uh, what do you call them, uh, chemicals in their leaves that, that sort of uh, that protect them against ultraviolet light. So they've got a whole bunch of uh, physical characteristics that help them survive. Now, we're all uh, obsessed, of course, with, with, with carbon catch, capture and that sort of thing. They're pretty useful for that, aren't they? Yeah, well, this is one of the amazing things that came out of this global survey. We did this global survey of 132, 123 locations throughout the world, and we compared the carbon in the soil beneath mosses to the carbon in the soil with no moss or with no plants, other sorts of plants, lawn and trees and shrubs. And we found that mosses sequester or they drag into the soil 6.42 billion, that's a million million, 6.42 billion tonnes more carbon under the moss than, a, than in a bare soil. That's absolutely, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, that's equivalent to uh, the annual emissions from agriculture and land use change and uh, clearing and all well, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty amazing. Now, Anthony's asking a question. You won't like this question, David. He says, <laughs> he says what's the best way to kill the moss in my garden? <laughs> oh, that's it. Anthony. I couldn't possibly answer that. <laughs> but some people, some people don't like the moss in, in the garden. And well, what do you say to them? No, okay. So, look, I agree. Mosses, you know, there's a place for everything. And if people don't like mosses in their garden, the problem is not the moss. It means the site is too shaded. Um, you've got the wrong grass growing in your garden or the wrong plants growing in your garden. Because mosses are just taking an advantage of an environment where nothing else will grow. So they're kind of like, they're like a primary stabiliser. They're the first things that come in and set the scene for other plants. Um, so... Don't get rid of your mosses. Um, leave your mosses there and eventually, you know, look after your lawn or whatever and eventually the lawn will take over and the moss will disappear. Okay, but mainly if you see moss, it's because other plants don't want to colonise that area and the moss has moved in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, they, you know, they can't compete for shade and nutrients and everything against a tree or a shrub. Um, but if it's too shaded or too wet or too dry or whatever, um, then mosses have a competitive advantage. So they're able to survive in an environment that your average plant can't. Okay, and they might keep out other weeds and help a bit of carbon capture while they're at it. Do you, do you, do you have a favourite, a favourite moss? Oh, are you asking me to choose? Yeah, between your loved ones. <laughs> look, <laughs> look, I love all mosses, but there is one moss um, that I learnt to identify very early on in my career. I've been looking at mosses for probably 20 years. Um, and it's an Australian moss, 
And I, it's a quintessential moss because it's tiny. It lives in, in, in the arid zone in, in the, out west where it's very dry and it's very, very small. And it's called Stonia oleaginosa. Stonia because it's named after a very famous moss ex- expert, uh, Ilma Stone from Melbourne, and um, oleaginosa because apparently it's oily. And this little guy is about the size of a sand grain, and if you look at it under a microscope, you think, nah, that can't be a moss. And it looks like a little rose, it looks like a little rose flower. Um, they're beautiful. They're just absolutely beautiful, and they're tiny. Well, you almost convinced me to change my favourite moss because up to now it's been Ian Moss from Cold Chisel, but there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, well, I'm sure we all like Ian Moss. <laughs> we all like that moss. Hey, uh, it's so interesting. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. My pleasure. That's uh, Professor David Eldridge with another Self-Improvement Wednesday. David is from the School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of New South Wales. And, of course, you can listen to his lesson on the mighty moss uh, online, abc.net.au. Next week, a lesson from Dr Jess Marsh, an arachnologist at Murdoch University. So spiders next week on Self-Improvement Wednesday. Self-Improvement Wednesday.